you know, replace flashlight with torch and then the image of like, I don't know, Leon or Jill running around with a flaming torch in the hand and a weapon out, you know, trying to defend themselves. That must have been a weird image. and welcome to another episode of the waffling tailors podcast we've got a very special guest with us today we've got uh we've got alex who's uh, joined us from all the way over in uh tokyo which is uh, an amazing thing you know the, the internet brings us all closer together you know the world is such a small place these days so hey alex how are you doing hey how's it going thanks for having me today you're very, very welcome. Very welcome. Um, we'll come on to uh, why Alex is on the show in mm. in a moment. But first, I just want to also say hello to Squidgy. Hi, Squidgy. How are you? Hello, Squidgy. That's just something silly that uh, Squidge does uh, when we start the podcast. But uh, for those of you who've never heard the podcast, this is just essentially it's me and Squidge talking uh, nonsense and silliness about video games, the games we've played, the games we'll go forward to, all that kind of stuff. It's no secret that we are huge fans of the Resident Evil series. And one of the reasons that we've asked Alex to join us today is because he's also a big fan of the Resident Evil series, but he's also in the process, in the final processes, I believe, um, of of writing a book about the Resident Evil series. And it looks like it's going to be perhaps a series of books. I know you haven't officially called it volume one, but I've seen in some of the comments on the, uh, on the, on the backer pages that this may be volume one, there may be a volume two. We'll come on to that in a moment, but uh, yeah. Um, but, but before we do all of that, uh, one of the things that we'd like to talk about um, is what we've been playing recently. Uh, if you're okay with uh, joining in Alex, then that would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, any anything's fine, not just Resident Evil. Yeah, any 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 video game that you've been playing recently? Uh, okay, um, I did play a little bit of Final Fantasy VII Remake. I think I got into the fourth or fifth chapter. Uh, it's mm. pretty fun, but I I actually don't have much of an emotional attachment to the original FF Seven. Uh, the only the only Final Fantasy game I've ever beaten multiple times at that would be Final Fantasy Four both the original and the remake of that so uh that's that's my that's the extent of my interest in final fantasy but seven is quite interesting there's a there's a really easy mode in there that allows you to just kind of brainlessly play through it (laughs) without Mm -hmm. having to invest too much time um in the middle of that i um as you might know sony gave away free copies of the uncharted collection so uh i used to own that game but i got stuck at one point and sold it so I re-downloaded the game from PSN and uh, continued from where I left off in the first Uncharted, uh, playing a bit of Animal Crossing as well. And I recently uh, bought a new exercise bike, if you can see it uh, right here. Uh, and I play Switch Lite on that sometimes. So I started playing uh, Resident Evil 4 on it again because that's been in the news recently. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. story about that, about how... <laughs> potentially i mean I, I haven't really been keeping up with it but there's this idea of potentially a remake of resident evil 4 and the whole idea of perhaps they're skipping code veronica which is yeah interesting that <laughs> if true mm. that would sting you know one, one you're skipping a game two you know there's a lot of uh divided opinion about whether resident evil 4 should really be remade or not and mm. beyond that how it should be remade you know did they change a lot did they change nothing 
So it'll be interesting to see how things turn out. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, uh, like you said, very interesting. And like I say, it's, it's a shame that they're skipping God Veronica. It's a bit of a – God Veronica is a bit of a strange entry into the series in that it's, it's not the um, – it's not the greatest game, uh, but it is really, uh, you know, <laughs> how do I put it? How do I put it? <laughs> how do I put it? It's, it, it is a fun game to, to, to play. Don't get me wrong. It is a fun game to play. Um, but like the story is a bit bonkers. And do I need to mention Steve? You know, it's, it gets a bit, <laughs> it's a bit stranger place. Yeah. And whole, meanwhile, Chris is dropping his hip gear and, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Code Veronica was my first game, hence the nickname that I use on the internet. So I have a I have a very particular affinity to it. It's not necessarily my favorite game. Funny enough, Resident Evil Four is actually my favorite Resident Evil. Mm. But yeah, I, I I think Code Veronica isn't so far out there that it that it shouldn't be remade. I mean, there's no number, but it's obviously a very significant part of the story. It's very much the real sequel to Resident Evil Two that Resident Evil Three was not. Yeah, and furthermore, Code Veronica is most certainly the real prequel to RE5. So you know, there's a there's a lot of uh, significance to that particular game, and you know, for all the grievances that people have with the original game, I mean, I feel like that's why we have remakes to begin with, so they can address those mm-hmm. problems while maintaining the spirit of the original game, uh, which is something they didn't really do with RE3. But you know, maybe we can talk more about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I when I sort of heard the rumor mill and stuff of Resident Evil Four being remade and nobody knew for certain and what have you, my initial thought was, well, Capcom obviously can't camp. <laughs> mm. After three, it's Code Veronica. You know, one, you don't go one, two, three, seven, twelve, sixty-three. It's one, two, three, Code Veronica four. That's how I the mean, timeline works. That's how you do maybe, it. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe yeah. they're just taking the uh, the George Lucas gambit of just like let's make up numbers and figure out how it all works <laughs> after the fact, right? <laughs> yeah, the last the last time something like this happened that I can personally remember, um, it's when Nintendo uh, brought the Super Mario games to Game Boy Advance. Right? They went from I remember it was like Super Mario Brothers two, right? Mm. Great, and then the next game after that was Super Mario World. And I was like, did they skip Mario 3 for some mm-hmm. reason? And then after that was Yoshi's Island. And I was like, huh? Really? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then they, they eventually did 3, but I thought the order was really unusual. Um, but I imagine maybe they just wanted uh, different Mario game types to come out without, you know, dropping them all, you know, in sequence. And I think um, if I were Capcom and I... And you had to remake both Code Veronica and RE4, but you had to pick which one to choose first. Uh, I would, I would actually choose RE4. Now, to be clear, my first preference would be not to remake it, right, mm. at all. Uh, my second preference would be to remake it, but only the graphics and maybe the yeah. controls and like maybe things like AI, but don't change like anything beyond that. And that'll be my second preference. But if you have to remake RE4, I do think it's a good time to do it because. RE2 is is a much less action-oriented game. It's also very thematically different from uh, RE4. Mm. And, you know, from what the rumors we've been hearing about Resident Evil 8, which is also in development, that sounds like a very slow and horror-focused title. So I do think uh, if they want to, you know, keep the other foot in the action pool, 
so to speak. I do think RE4 is probably a very uh, good solution. And then, you know, that way the horror, the whole horror style of Resident Evil doesn't get too played out. And then they can revisit it in the future when they decide to do Code Veronica. I think Mm. that makes a lot of sense. I just hope they haven't skipped it permanently because I think that would be a real shame. I think that that game could definitely benefit from a lot of the the progression uh, the game industry has made over the last two decades. So I hope we see it someday. Mm. It's it's I that do too. I do too. it's that fine line I mean, between sort of horror and action in it. You don't want to have it too horror filled or too action, mm. mind you. If you mix them both together, you, you you're always going to get complaints. You know, this part was really slow. Yeah. That part was really fast. You know, yeah. I feel like RE RE three had had a few of those problems. Uh, mm, not not definitely. too many. Not too many. I think it was a very focused game, mm. but maybe it was too focused. I don't know how yeah. you guys felt. <laughs> so. I mean, it could be that um, you know, it could be that they that if they do four and it works out really well, they could then come back to, you know, loop back to Code Veronica. It may make sense mm. to do it in that order because, mm. like, there's a whole bunch of people. Uh, one of the things that I do sometimes is I go on Reddit and see what people are saying about Resident Evil, and a lot of people over the past year and a half, two years, have been saying, cool, I've played Resident Evil 2. What should I play next? Because this is my first game in the whole series. And, it's, and it may make sense to go remake Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3, Resident Evil 4, and then go, oh, by the way, there's this story in the middle somewhere between three and four that you can mm-hmm. come back to. Because otherwise, you know, you're going one, two, three, Veronica, Gaiden. No, they probably would have given up. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I'm really split on the provenance that remakes now have in Resident Evil. Uh, because mm-hmm. the first... I mean, the remakes have always been Capcom either hedging their bets on the direction of the future of Resident Evil or they're like test titles, right? We have mm-hmm. three remakes now, one, two, three. The first the first game was Capcom Capcom's way to test development on the GameCube hardware before, before going back into Resident Evil 4. So the GameCube hardware was new to them and they didn't really know how to develop it. Uh, a different team was making Resident Evil Zero as well. So the production studio four at the time needed to gain knowledge of the GameCube hardware. So that's why they did remake one as a kind of a test title. Mm. Great. But you know that, you know, when they announced remake one, that was one out of six games that they had announced that that day. It was zero, one, two, three, four, and I think Code Veronica, right? Zero, one, two, three, mm. four, Code Veronica. Yeah, six games, right? Three of them were ports. Zero was already in development. Four was uh, carried over from Devil May Cry. So Remake 1 wasn't really a very prominent game. Resident Evil 2, on the other hand, that was greenlit because Resident Evil 7 was taking a very dramatic change of direction, as we all eventually found out with the first person, the VR, the, the new protagonist. And, you know, when they were in development, Capcom didn't really know for sure that Resident Evil 7 would be the, the success that they were hoping for it could have backfired if people weren't receptive. Mm-hmm. So Resident Evil 2 was kind of like the had them hedging their bets in case RE7 did not do well. So Resident Evil 3 just came out as soon as it did because they apparently Capcom started working with a new studio called M2. And from what I know, they needed to get their feet wet with, uh, with the RE engine and, you know, start, you know, doing collaborations so you know coming into resident evil 4 i'm not really sure 
what kind of purpose that game's development is trying to serve. Um, I imagine to some extent Capcom just wants to release it because it's it's worth their time and it'll it'll do pretty well. But you look at the backdrop on how RE one, two, and three were remade, and they were always like kind of supplementary to everything else that was going on. So I don't know. We'll see. It, it, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little pessimistic about what can happen with an RE4 remake, uh, especially after RE3. Uh, but I'm at the same time, you know, I'm not going to write them off and, and assume that they can't do a good job. So. Mm, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope that they bring the chainsaw controller back, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be. Sweet. <laughs> I imagine it would work because it's it's um, at least the PS2 version of the chainsaw controller has all the essential buttons of a dual shock, so someone can probably figure out how to make it work. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. If if nothing else, someone could perhaps three D print one, and we just put mm. all the gobins inside of the three uh, D printed shell, right? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Just a case you can clip onto the controller. Yeah. Right. Unwielding, but yeah. still. No. Yeah. I do remember when um, when Squidge first got Resident Evil Four on the uh, on the GameCube, he got the there was like a limited edition released in the UK. I'm not sure about elsewhere, but that it had a um, a, a GameCube controller that was modeled after the chainsaw. It was, and it was the yellow. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was also a, a hardware bundle designed after Resident Evil Four. I remember, and actually oh. on that, it's actually in uh, <laughs> in there in my uh, drawer, but. Yeah. Yeah, Europe got a lot of cool things back in the day that the States didn't. Mm. Well, you know, we're usually the dumping ground. We get the games like six to eight months later, or at least at the time we did get the games six to eight months later. So I feel like mm. they had to give us something special, you know? <laughs> yeah, didn't, didn't like Resident Evil 3 come out in Europe like long after Code Veronica had come out everywhere else, I think? Or uh, I, when I, I remember. Like I think those were the wild, we the wild west of the the game releases back then. Yeah, right. I, I think there was a bit of a time between it. Yeah, <laughs> can't, I can't remember how long, but mm. the uh, the the worst region for receiving games on time is apparently Australia because they're part they're classed as part of the PAL region. So the game comes out in Japan. That's it's like a hop, skip, and a jump away. <laughs> you know, mm. then game comes out in the states. Then game comes out in Europe. Then the game comes out in Australia, and it just it, it seems a bit weird and unfair on the Aussie gamers, but they don't seem to mind. <sighs> yeah, it's a lot better nowadays. I think they actually win. Well, maybe not technically Australia. I think New Zealand wins the the time zone war because they get games so much earlier. Because not not so much, but I think if a game comes out on April first worldwide new zealand gets it when it's midnight there but that's at least like maybe 19 hours before it becomes the first in america so if you have like a new zealand xbox account or a psn account you could conceivably be playing the game in the early morning the day before so Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's it's uh yeah i think they've turned the tables a bit if you're okay with digital games (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, I think that's um. You see, because time zones are hard. It's one of the hardest things to get right in, in my line of work as a as a developer. Is I mean, I don't do games. I I, I have written a few games, but you know, the business line apps getting time zones right is so difficult because, like, time as a construct works, except that there's there's certain countries like I believe it was Samoa. I'm always pronouncing Samoa wrong as Samoa. No, you're, you're, no, sure you're pronouncing you, it right. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. Um, the country or the point, American territory? Uh, the, the, the country, I believe. Um, okay. what, the, I believe the island of Samoa sits used to sit on the international dateline. And then at some point in the last 20 years, they all went to bed on Wednesday and they woke up on Friday because they moved across the dateline. Oh, I remember. So yeah, because um, there's actually two Samoas. There's an American Samoa, which is... I think we we call like an like an unincorporated territory of the United States. I know sure. the UK has a bunch of equivalents that that are kind of like that. I don't know if Gibraltar or San Saint Helena or or whatnot, but like yeah, apparently both of the Samoas used to be on the same side. Uh, but then the independent Samoa does more business with Australia and New Zealand, so it benefited them to be on the same side as they were. So they moved sure. over. I, I think it was like at least. Not too long ago, like five to ten years ago, maybe. So, mm-hmm. yeah, very yeah. fascinating. Um, yeah, I do biz dev. Uh, I'm based in Tokyo, but I work I work at Braveway Productions, a music company. We're based here, but I have a lot of clients in Europe and in the states. Before this podcast, I had a phone call with uh, a French client, actually. So, mm-hmm. um, luckily, there's a time difference between France and the UK because. Uh, <laughs> You know, both both of you wanted to start at 10 a.m., but luckily <laughs> that's not quite the same for you guys. So, yeah. um, and I also work at Limited Run Games, which is an American company, and they're almost exactly on the opposite side. So I'm constantly working either late at night or early in the morning. It's fascinating mm. stuff. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Mm. But that's less about video games, more about business eating. So let's we'll talk about that. <laughs> no, that, no that, that that was me. That 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 was me taking us on that little uh, tangent. Mm. But we're kind of we're kind of known for going on little tangents. So what about you, Scrooge? I know we we recorded something yesterday that hopefully will come out. Um, but for the, for the benefit of people who may not be able to hear that, what have you been playing recently? I've been playing a bit of Borderlands Three because I I love a bit of uh, humor, and mm. I love the chance to. Uh, Shoot things, especially if I'm annoyed or I need to chill out. You know, go in, shoot some stuff, chill out. Bit uh, very cathartic. Trying to catch up on Final Fantasy VII. Um, haven't had much time to play that, uh, so trying to do that. I I played a lot of the original, sort of playing that in the same mindset as it's not a remake; it's just a retelling. is is easier for me to digest because it's it's not exactly hundred percent faithful to the original. They they put a lot in. But you know it's it's different in in other ways. Also, been dipping my toes back into Resident Evil Three. I enjoyed it a lot. The remake. It's it's not without fault. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that. But I like it a lot more than a lot of the people on the internet do. <laughs> I'll say that because a, a lot of including me. Because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people from what I've sort of seen and read like on social media and where they, they can either it's either you get people who can either take it or leave it or you get people who are completely for it saying it's 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 a nice game you know it's it's a nice bit of a distraction up from the original and then you get people saying it's too easy it's too quick you know you can be through it in a couple of hours yeah if you want to be through it in a couple of hours i'd rather take my time with it uh, <laughs> you know not kill everything on site try and dodge a lot make it a bit harder for myself you know, to extend the gameplay. I did end up completing it on, like, day of release, which was different considering how I played the Resident Evil 2 remake when it first came out, (laughs) which we'll get on to soon. But, yeah, I've been... It's sort of flipping between them three. 
It's it's either um, dodging zombies and running away from Nemesis, trying to go through the story of Final Fantasy VII, or shooting things in the face, which is pretty much like Resident Evil Three. So, <laughs> so I've been spending my time recently. Yeah, fair enough, and um, yeah, I've just been revisiting all the titles. I'm hoping to get Resident Evil Three soon. It'd be a bit of a work to get it working because um, I mainly run Linux on my machines, so I'll have to make sure that it works with uh, Steam Proton to make you know before I buy it, because it'd be useless if I bought it and um, wouldn't be able to play it. But, uh, yeah, I'll have to give that a try. But I have been playing a lot of uh, Shadow Man from back in the day, which is this horrendously uh, horrible horror title. Um, I think it's more psychological horror than... Because uh, this is the thing, right? The thing that I've, I've noticed about Resident Evil is it's become a little... Uh, there's a, there's a, um, a genre of um, stories... Uh, yeah, a, a genre that's been coming out in the past five, ten years called biopunk, which is kind of like you've, you've probably heard of cyberpunk and steampunk. Well, this is the same sort of idea, but it's about chemical engineering and bio, biological engineering. And I felt like, especially towards the end of Resident Evil 5, and I gave up at 5, I didn't really play 6. I have played 7. Everything's been about, let's creep everyone out. Let's creep everyone out. You know, and the less said about Biohazard 4D, the better, right? Because that was just literally, look at this horrible <laughs> thing we've animated on screen and all of these apples were stabbing in, in Foley. <laughs> but there you go. But yeah, I haven't really been playing that much recently. I've been trying to get loads of loads of work done, which is uh, kind of a hindrance to playing video games, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> We talked about it earlier on, um, and maybe Switch can come on to it a little bit later when he talked about uh, Resident Evil 2, uh, the remake. But yeah, we're, we're going to be talking to uh, Alex today. The main segment, I guess, is all about uh, the new book that is uh, currently, at the time of recording, still listed on Unbound. I don't know whether you can still take um, backers for it. Uh, didn't check this morning, but uh, if you do want to back it, definitely check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, it is still up, yeah. Uh, oh, awesome. And the campaign did fantastic. It's been overfunded, which is never a bad problem. Uh, and <laughs> the other day, I submitted. I submitted my. Uh, well, they they submitted an edited draft to me. I went over it and made counter suggestions, but they it wasn't a terribly complicated process. I was actually very happy with uh, the feedback they, that they provided to me. And it's my first time writing a book, and I'm not sure if any of you have done it before, but there's a very prolonged editing process involved because I, I, I wrote this book across two and maybe good, a good two years. So, and then there were a few breaks, you know, during the writing process. So it's not like I wrote it from beginning to end, start to finish. So, you know, when I started writing one chapter, I would stop, start writing another chapter, but sometimes the tone wasn't so consistent. So, you know, the editor's job is to make sure that that is all fixed before publication, to make sure that word choice is also consistent and it's ideal. Uh, I guess the biggest but most amusing recommendation I got was the suggestion of potentially changing it to British English. And I know who I'm talking to, but <laughs> I, I actually I pushed back against that suggestion because I just felt like it wouldn't sound like I wrote it at that point. And yeah. I don't, I don't think 
people outside of the U.S. have problems reading U.S. English anyway. So I imagine, you know, no one will hold it against me to mm. to stick to that choice. Uh, I don't know if you 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 disagree or not, but oh well, yeah. like I say, as a as a, a developer and web developer, I'm perfectly fine with not putting use in the word color and things like that. It's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not even it's not even the word. Um, it's not even how you spell things so much more than it is the the specific terminology that is used in the UK, but not in the US. So one, one fascinating thing I found out from my editors that apparently in the UK, people call flashlights torches. Mm-hmm. And I was v- very surprised to find that out. I feel like I have a fairly decent grip on what British English is, but I had not known that a, t- a, a flashlight could be called a torch. Because, you know, when you think of it, when I think of a torch, I think of, you know, the, the, the scene in Resident Evil 4 when you have the mob and they're all holding literal torches, right? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and I thought that was very interesting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I would never think to use the word torch in place of flashlight. That must have been a, a weird thing for you to read, you know, replace <laughs> flashlight with torch and then the image of... <laughs> Like, I don't know, Leon or Jill running around with a flaming torch in the hand and a weapon out, you know, trying to defend themselves. That must have been a weird image. Yeah, I was like, I mean, well, I can, I mean, I've, I've been to the UK maybe 10 times. Been to Australia a number of times as well. So it's not like I, I'm unfamiliar with uh, that variation of English. It's just that that, I just had never heard of that particular uh, word before. So, you know, I, I know you'll call gas petrol. Right. Mm. You know, I know things like that. That's 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 not a big deal. But it, like the word torch, I was like, uh, maybe we should stick to my my <laughs> comfort zone. <here."> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But on, in the inverse, you know what a flashlight is, right? Of course. Oh, right? Yeah. Everyone you, knows what a flashlight you is. don't call the torches in Resident Evil 4 flashlights, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, I thought that was amusing. Uh, but I do have some potentially unfortunate news um, about the book. It's I, I've, I've been aiming for a 2020 release, but actually due to this coronavirus uh, situation, um, every, every little aspect of what makes these books happen, what makes anything happen is just, has just been upended. Uh, and the biggest concern is, you know, the everyone's working from home these days. They're either self-quarantining or whatnot. So the editing process, the review process can continue to an extent, but until people start going back into the office and start being fully productive again, there will be delays uh, mm-hmm. at some point in the process. Um, and that goes for every part of the book, the editors, the artists, uh, the project managers. One thing I feel really bad about personally is a lot of people have back the signed version of the book. So my, my, my plan was always to go to London and once the books are manufactured and sign every copy and write a note to everybody individually. But if I can't go anywhere, that's also going to be another problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Either I'm not banned, either I'm, I'm not allowed to go into, I'm not allowed to go into the UK right now, or there aren't any airplanes flying right now, regardless of what problem it is. Uh, mm-hmm. it, that's going to be another, another challenge that I'm going to have to figure out how to navigate around. Uh, mm-hmm. Hopefully things are better as we uh, go into summer and autumn, but I, I really don't know if, if that's going to happen necessarily. So, I mean, we're doing our best, but there is actually a distinct possibility. We may have to wait until early next year 
which which sure. disheartens me. But you know, with everything else that's going on, I hope people can at least understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry about mm-hmm. that, guys. I, I hope I hope mm-hmm. we can make this here. If not, I assure you that'll be pretty much the reason why. So. Mm. I mean, that makes perfect sense. You know, something's got to give. Um, and I'm not sure that your uh, your mailman would appreciate having to lug a huge box of books to your apartment so you could sign them all to put them back in the box to send them back again, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm just uh, the the customs fees would be pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially on their way back into the uh, into the UK, right? So, mm-hmm. like a lot of my European yeah. friends are always complaining about customs charges, blah 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 blah. Like in Japan, I get them maybe like twenty five percent of the time, which isn't too bad. In the states, I never get them, but in Europe, apparently, it's like a given. Once once your package has a value of you know more than fifteen quid or whatever, they're just gonna levy a bill on you and you have to pay it so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Much, much. <laughs> we've talked a little bit about the book we haven't really said what the title of the book is um just in case people want to sort of google it i'll put it in the show notes anyway but it is at the moment called an itchy tasty history of resident evil oh, however i will admit that it's going to change slightly for the final version for for reasons i can't get into but it will be it will be very similar but just a little bit different Sure. So the, the working title is Itchy Tasty, and it may change a bit. That's fine. Absolutely. That gives people something to search for. It'll, it'll be the same title, essentially, but just presented in a, in a slightly different way. Yeah. Sure, sure. That's cool. Uh, obviously named after that wonderfully stupid scene of uh, someone dying in second person in their journal <laughs> in the first game in the original first game i can't remember whether that's in the remake or not but yeah yeah that's yeah, a wonderfully it is, it is. yeah <laughs> yeah it's essentially the same scene in the same room <laughs> oh geez i do remember that scene just reading through it the very first time going this is really weird why are you writing about your just <laughs> the, the, the decisions that went into let's make a journal entry um, of someone dying in the second person was just very strange. But there we are. Like I said, we've talked a little bit about the, the potential hardships with shipping the book in its current form and stuff. But can you tell us a little bit about the actual book itself? So like I've read on, again, because I'm a backer, I've read on Unbound that it's like you've gone through and interviewed some people, but um, is it like a, a full history? Does it start with, 1995 1996 does it go back to sweet home does it go back further it does into the future does it 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 does go back to sweet home i do have a section uh in there that's very much uh that kind of goes over a lot of how sweet home eventually inspired resident evil and i do have an interview with the creator of sweet home that that's definitely something i think people will very much enjoy because i mean it's common knowledge that Sweet Home did lead to Resident Evil, but uh, it's not very clear until now how step-by-step step, that ended up happening. But yeah, Sweet Home came out for the NES in, I think, 1990 or 1989. And then uh, the the creator had wanted to follow up on that for years, but it didn't really become possible until the, uh, the 32-bit consoles came out that finally allowed for 3D graphics Funny enough, uh, I think uh, when that, 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 the, the creator of Sweet Home, Tokuro Fujiwara, was 
inspired to make Resident Evil after seeing both the original Star Fox and uh, Virtual Fighter running in full 3D. I think those were his impetus to to kind of re-pursue the project. And they had to change the name. They couldn't use a Sweet Home name again because that's a license by a movie, a film company. So they ended up eventually going with what we know today as Biohazard. So a very, very colorful beginning uh, of, of the Resident Evil franchise through Sweet Home. Uh, yeah, but yeah, basically I've spoken to almost every director and or producer that's been involved in, in every Resident Evil game that came out between, um, I guess, the first game and the fourth game. So that's actually nine, nine, ten years worth of history right there. And the way I, I, I asked, the way I spoke to them was I asked them to kind of, you know, start from the beginning, you know, how did they become involved in the game industry? Like what what kind of design preferences that they have why did they make the resident evil game they directed the way they made it and i feel like these stories are very fascinating because a lot of them are very much a product of their time to some extent right and like there are some you know some people grew up liking horror movies others you know like like Hideki Kamiya, the director of RE2, who's now at Platinum Games, he's very infamous for being highly squeamish. So I feel like that, or he feels like that kind of was the impetus for Resident Evil to transition a little bit out of the horror focus and into a little bit more action. You'll notice that a lot of games, you know, were greenlit and then canceled and then rebooted. And, you know, the the, the reasons that has happened for various games is always interesting to know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think uh, it's it's it, it's a history of Resident Evil's development and production more so than it is from a from like the game story standpoint. I mean, I touch on those points a little bit, but it's not really about that. It's more why did five Resident Evil games come out in one year for five different platforms? And I, th- yeah. I think if you if you like the game industry. It's a very interesting book for for those people. If you like how games are made, like you, uh, Jay, for example, I think you would very much enjoy uh, the narratives. It, it it follows a narrative structure structure in a lot of ways. Um, it, it's me telling the story, but it's interspersed with quotes from quotes from the people I interviewed, as well as examples and contextualizing information. So it's. Yeah, I mean, the, the, sure. the polygon excerpts for RE2 and RE3 are a very accurate uh, representation of what the final book will be. It's, um, let me check my latest draft here, how many words it is, but I believe it's about 65,000 words, which is, uh, wow. <laughs> from what I hear, it's actually a substantially long book for something related to video games. So it, it hopefully if and when it does come out, not if, but when it does come out rather uh i hope i hope it entertains people for a long time unlike resident evil 3 remake (laughs) so so i'm joking so so the book is very much uh behind the scenes yeah things uh you wouldn't really it's a story you wouldn't really i I assume you wouldn't know before you read it I mean, the thing is, like, the development of Resident Evil in general is not secret information. I feel like people generally know it started from Sweet Home. People generally know 
it was more successful than Capcom thought it was going to be. People generally know why Resident Evil 1.5 was canceled. People know why Resident Evil 4 became Devil May Cry. I feel like in between those major events, there's a lot of hap- there are a lot of happenings. And then it kind of ties the history of the series together in a very interesting way. So it you know, it's a very it's a very chaotic first 10 years of Resident Evil. Like very, very, like I, I notice, you know, when you read the book, you'll, you'll come away thinking, yeah, very little of this was planned, like long term. Yeah. A lot of the decision making was very much short term, like how, how, how Capcom can deal with problem A of, of, of 1996, 1997, how can they survive the next year, right? Whereas I feel like in the present day, uh, there's a little bit of chaos, of course, you know, especially if if those rumors about like Resident Evil Eight having been a Revelations game originally uh, are to be believed. Mm. There's still a little bit of chaos, but I do think there's a lot of structure and long term planning for the Resident Evil series today that I don't necessarily think was true back in the '90s and early 2000s. So I, I hope that people really enjoy uh, the the stories that people have to tell and you know the struggles of you know making a video game because you know even though even though uh, I myself am have been critical of certain decisions and certain games that have come out over the years I do I will I would never hold it against any creator personally like how how a game turned out I think everyone's worked very hard to to make the best game that can make and I think. It's always, for me anyway, going to be about the creators. Yeah. Uh, and I think they always deserve all the credit and all the respect for for the things that they've created. Sure, sure. I always, I always enjoy learning the process that a creator goes through to create something. You know, uh, mm. we we kind of joked earlier on about George Lucas and Star Wars, but learning the process that that that, that different creators go through to create whatever product they hit, they get that they end up with um, and then looking at the challenges that they saw along the way and how they overcame their challenges or the one challenge that stopped everything and forced them to go back and start again. I think that can be applied to almost any walk of life. You know, uh, I've said a whole bunch of times I'm a, de- a software mm. developer, but that's essentially what I do every day. I hit a challenge, I figure out how to c- overcome it, come up with three or four different ways, pick the one that fits, that seems to fit the most and carry on in that direction. But then, you know, occasionally in whatever walk of life you're at, filmmaking, story writing, um, development, business, anything, there's always that roadblock that you hit and you go, well, how do I overcome this? And, you know, learning how other people have done it and seeing the successes or perhaps failures that they've seen, in my opinion, can help you as a person come up with the ways to overcome your problems that you're seeing. And then you go, ah, right, okay. So two years ago, this person had this problem. I totally see how they got over that, but that's not going to work in my situation. So then I look for an alternative solution. Totally get it. Yeah, and obviously, absolutely. You know, and the, the, one of the burning questions that I have that I've just come up with is: Do you cover the story of the absolutely ridiculous soundtrack to? Is it the director's cut or the dual shock director's the dual cut? Shock the director's three? cut of the first game. <laughs> As someone who works in video game music, how could I not? yes how could i not i definitely have a passage in there about the soundtrack of resident evil director's cut dual shock and i think 
I hope it puts smiles on people's faces. <laughs> I mean, I did, I did have a very specific discussion about that with someone who was involved in that port. So, <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun when people read about it. Uh, it'll be, yeah. it's in the book, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, awesome. maybe, maybe the, the the actual information might not be surprising to some people, but I mean, I do have the reactions of the people in there when they listen to the soundtrack for the first time. The people at Capcom, so. Awesome. People so, laughed. Uh, <laughs> people <laughs> laughed. I'll tell you that. Looking yeah. forward to that. <laughs> That's uh, it's always been the thing that really um, stuck out in the entire series, and uh, oh my goodness, I can't even remember the the name of the gentleman who who wrote the soundtrack. Mamoru Samuragochi. Samuragochi. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. He, yeah, he, he turned out, I think people realize, and I do talk about this in the book as well, but he turned out to be, um, a, 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 for, for lack of a better word, a fraud, because he was yeah. supposed to be Beethoven in the sense that he was deaf, but he very much was not deaf, and he very much did not write his own music. So he used a ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, although we, we, do, we do like to make fun of the ghosts, or the, the music in Resident Evil Director's Cut DualShock. But I actually don't think the composer is, un- or the, the the real composer of that is untalented. I actually think he's great because he he went on to compose the the first Onimusha game, which has an amazing soundtrack and is probably one of the best in uh, that Capcom's ever put out for that generation. So it's not like the the ghostwriter had no talent. I just have to wonder if maybe there was some experimenting involved with with yeah. the Resident Evil Director's Cut DualShock or if there was a technological limitation. I I, I heard yeah. that uh, the the soundtrack for Director's Cut DualShock wasn't meant to be used for that game initially. It was supposed to be used for something else. But apparently yeah. that deal fell through, so they had to cram it in there somehow. I, um, I can't imagine what it would be used for. Not really. <laughs> I just can't. Well, a lot of games get cancelled, I guess, so who yeah. knows, yeah. Perhaps but it, there could be an entire book written about that whole situation, you know? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> maybe. I mean, I mean, you know, we, we, we make fun of Resident Evil Director's Cut DualShock, um, but really, I, I, to be fair, I do think it's really only the mansion basement theme that's, like, extraordinarily bad, right? <laughs> And apparently for, for most people, it is enough to like destroy the entire thing. But there are some pretty good pieces in there, I think. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, actually, the first version of Resident Evil 1 that I did play was the director's cut DualShock version. So I had no frame of reference for the soundtrack before then. I remember enjoying the safe theme. I thought the safe theme was fine. Yeah. I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't as good as Code Veronica's, for example, but I thought it was uh, like it didn't stick out to me as a particularly bad piece of music. Some of the hallway themes were fine. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think every track is bad, but I do, I do believe there is an argument to be made that the suitability of the music in general for that game was definitely questionable. And yeah, I feel like that version, that version's been disowned in Japan. Like they, they didn't release it for PSN like wow. they did elsewhere. Like we got the original director's cut for on PSN here for PS3 and. Uh, PSP, but not the DualShock one. So, wow, interesting. Yeah, see, I think I feel like we we've had this discussion on the podcast before about um, how when excuse me how graphics is something that 
when it's there, people hardly ever notice. But when it's not up to up to scratch, if it's not at the best that it can be, people can you know eat very quickly jump on that. And I think a similar thing with music. If it doesn't, if it's if it's perfectly fitting for the for the for the game for the situation for whatever, then people are like, yeah, totally. I don't even notice it. And the same with music in movies. But then when it doesn't fit. It's one of the quickest things that you can pick up on. You know, we talked about, uh, I think you mentioned there specifically, the basement theme, mm-hmm. that duty doot is what I call it. <laughs> you know, it does, does not fit. And it's the first thing that jumps out at you when you walk into that room. You're like, oh, uh, actually, this is, ooh, this is terrible. What's mm-hmm. going on here? This doesn't fit. F- um, first time I, think- I played it, the Dual Shock Edition, I think, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it even kicks in when you go down to the kitchen. Is that the first time mm-hmm. you hear it in the game, I think? You know, I think um, so, yeah. 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 I, I know that when you first go down into the kitchen, um, there's a zombie in there, and you, you can either have it chasing around you, or you can destroy it and what have you. I was laughing so hard at the music, the zombie killed me. <laughs> <laughs> to which point I reloaded the game, went down to the basement, killed the zombie, and then continued to laugh at the music so hard for a solid 10 minutes. I just couldn't Ooh, believe it. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, I mean, if... If I may uh, spoil the book a little bit, I mean, basically when they first, when the two people in charge of verifying the music of the game listened to the tracks, uh, they they laughed actually as well. <laughs> uh, and um, but they they couldn't take it out of the game at that point, so mm. yeah, they didn't have time to redo it. So it <laughs> it is what it is. Um, I, I I remember. Um, I have uh, AirPod speakers in my uh, room, so uh, I can I can I don't know if you all use iPhones or not, uh, but sure. you can tell Siri to play a random track. And I one time had a friend over, and uh, I uh, used my iPhone to play that track next, and it just started blaring. And my friend was like, "What the f- is this? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of music is this?" And she was like. It sounds like dystopian farting. <laughs> like, because the, the, the way the instruments sound, they're, they're not terribly complex. So, yeah. yeah, she had a very colorful description of uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the music. I originally had that anecdote in my book, but the editor actually suggested I take it out, <laughs> which, I, which I agreed to do because, you know, we have, we must be professional when we write books and not say oh, of words like that. <laughs> so two things. One, that, that phrase is never going to leave my lexicon for the rest of my life. <laughs> I love that phrase. And two, that's got to be the name of the episode, Jay. <laughs> What dystopian farting? Yeah. <laughs> that's gotta be the name of it. My pleasure. Actually, yeah, that's, that's the new name of the book. <laughs> Resident Evil: A Dystopian Farting History of the Series. A Biohazard: a, dy- a series of dystopian farts. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not oh, the only dear. one who thought it was funny. So. did europe ever get that version because i was my understanding was you did not until much later we got it eventually 
Yeah, I remember playing it, and I remember it having a. It had the um, so the cover art for the first game. Everyone, everyone that I used to talk to when I was, you know, when it first came out, I was like what eleven? No, not even that. Ninety six. I'd have been yeah, about eleven, twelve, sort of that kind of age. And we were all playing it at school, and somebody had said, "Yeah, it's Chris on the cover art." And it was only like four or five years ago that I realized, digging into things, it's not Chris. It's Richard. It's Richard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the um, because it's from a a comic book that was released, I believe, in the states at the just before it came out to sort of set up a little bit of the backstory. Mm-hmm. But I remember that I think it's the Jewel Shock Director's Cut that has. The Chris character, uh, sorry, the Richard character holding that strange gun, making the weird face, but it has this sort of uh, gradient colored background, this like orange to red colored background behind him, rather than the actual rest of the image. I believe that's the case. I remember there being a version of it released for the PlayStation with that. Um, in, it's probably not that now. <laughs> in PAL territories, right? Mm-hmm. So, are you talking about this one? Uh, no, this that looks more version. like the original. Yeah, that looks more like the original. Different. Oh, you're talking about the 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 one with the more brownish background. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Really... That, that made it over to the states as well. Okay. Actually, so. But yeah, yeah. I do remember it. I remember it coming out because I remember buying it. But because uh, it was it that one or was it just the straight director's cut that had the demo, the time-based demo of Resident Evil Two. Director's cut. Director's cut. Yeah, ah, it was because because uh, directors. Uh, I believe I might be wrong here, but I believe director's cut was released because Resident Evil Two was postponed for some reason. Have I, am I getting that right? Have I got that wrong? Ah, uh, yes, that would be correct. Because yeah. Resident Evil Two was supposed to be a 1997 game, uh, early 1997. Then that that version, which we call 1.5, got cancelled, so that delayed the game by a year. I think they wanted it out in December of 1997. They didn't quite make that. They made it into January, so they decided to release director's cut in the interim with the demo of Resident Evil 2, which was in hindsight a great decision because director's cut was even more successful than the original Resident Evil in terms of the number of copies it eventually sold. Mm. So, yeah, it, it it was a fortuitous decision. I'm so glad I got that part of the history right. <laughs> Congratulations, A plus, or I don't know what 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 grading system they use in the UK. Do they use numbers um, or letters or? Uh, well, I mean, in in regards to Resident Evil, no one died, so I call that a plus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Escape the city before I exploded. Let's just leave it yeah. at that. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, so, like I said earlier, on, Squidge and I are big fans of the Resident Evil series. Um, uh, both the original games and the CGI movies, less so much the Hollywood movies. Um, but what's your sort of history with them? Um, you know, did you, series? I think you said earlier on, yeah, yeah, I think you said earlier on Code Veronica was your first, and then you kind of went back and played a few of them, or so. Uh, I originally, uh, like, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I first played Resident Evil Code Veronica back in 2000, so I was about 13 at the time, and I've told the story before, but basically how that ended up happening was I, before that I played Silent Hill on the PlayStation. Absolutely loved the game. I thought Silent Hill was brilliant. And even as a 13 year old, I could appreciate that kind of game. Uh, It was disturbing and it was my foray into uh, satanic, occult, grotesque, 
any any word that kind of fits in that framework, but I loved it, which sounds really strange to say, but uh, <laughs> as a creative piece of work, I thought it was fantastic and I needed more, but I mean, Silent Hill had only just been released, so there weren't any sequels. Uh, so my brother told me to try Resident Evil instead because Resident Evil was the original series that inspired Silent Hill. And I had, I had heard about Resident Evil at that time. I had seen... Uh, I, I think I had seen my cousin at a at a Thanksgiving party play Resident Evil Three at one point. Uh, so I I knew about the series, but I wasn't terribly familiar with it. Uh, at the same time, in two thousand, the Dreamcast was the newest console, uh, and I wanted to play more games on it. After finishing, what was it that I finished? After finishing Sonic Adventure, I needed another game to play on it. So I I played Silent Hill. And my brother recommended Resident Evil. And for the Dreamcast, that game would have been Resident Evil Code Veronica. So I was around my birthday, I think, in June. Uh, so we were at Toys R Us. I don't know if that exists in the UK or if it did at one point. So Toys yeah, R Us bought Code Veronica, popped it in, saw that opening cutscene, And I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is amazing. Like, as a 13-year-old, like, I hadn't seen Mission Impossible, so the, the parallels were totally lost on me. But I thought, like, the opening cutscene <laughs> was really cool. And for for the most part, the gameplay was very similar to Silent Hill. Less liter- literary occult, more sci-fi, which I thought was fine. Uh, I thought Code Veronica was a very long game as well. And I think a lot more difficult than Silent Hill. But I loved it. I thought the characters were great. I thought the story was interesting. I thought the story was quite deep for what it was. I really liked how there were two characters and we'd control them at different times. And, you know, they'd visit the same locations after they'd changed. Uh, and after after I played Code Veronica and beat it the first time, you know, something clicked about Resident Evil and survival horror in general for me. Like, I realized that like, wow, this was an amazing genre of video games that I probably was too young to be, like, that into. <laughs> I, w- I would imagine maybe we all were, yeah. I mean, I don't know. If, if, if I have a kid now and I ask that kid to play Resident Evil at the age of 11 or 12, I would probably have my own hesitations. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was just very much enthralled with the whole concept of resident evil and silent hill to be fair just like that you were hooked yes just like that i was hooked. (laughs) and the next game i played after that was resident evil 2 on the playstation uh i I gravitated to that next because it had claire in it so I, i could figure out what what her story was before the beginning of code veronica Resident Evil 2 is an amazing game. Uh, I don't know if I liked it quite as much as Code Veronica uh, because it was it was an older game and a lot less advanced in terms of the graphics and whatnot. Resident Evil 2 was fantastic. And then so the next game I happened to get was 3 because it was also in Raccoon City. And that was the game that I'd seen my cousin play uh, the year before at the, the Thanksgiving party. So got 3, beat that. Got uh, Resident Evil 1 Director's Cut DualShock, beat that. Got Resident Evil Survivor, beat that. And at that point, all all five Resident Evil games that had come out at the time, I had beat them all. I had beaten them all. And then after that, 
uh, I followed the series from that point forward. So everything that came out from that point forward, I, I got on launch day. Uh, I think the first big release would have been Code Veronica X on uh, Dreamcast and PlayStation 2 in Japan, which happened a lot earlier than in the West. And then Remake came out on GameCube. That whole era happened. I guess um, the internet community was a lot smaller back then uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, I was I frequented uh, GameFAQ and uh, eventually the old NeoGAF. Uh, and apparently, I mean, there were, I've, I always felt like there were a lot of Resident Evil fans. But for whatever reason, I think people paid attention to my work because I was just very... Uh, I, I, I did a lot for the community at the beginning, like writing uh, walkthroughs and participating in forum discussions. So apparently that that's where the association between me and Resident Evil uh, kind of came to be, even though I, I like other games as well. And mm. like the Resident Evil games aren't actually my top, my, like my favorite games ever. Uh, like I think my favorite game ever might be Super Mario 64 actually, or... Okay. Yeah, one of those games, maybe. Uh, like in 2017, my game of the year was Mario Odyssey. It wasn't RE7. So it's not like I only exclusively like Resident Evil, but apparently I just managed to be someone that people like to talk to about Resident Evil. Uh, I mean, now the community is a lot bigger and there are a lot of people out there who make tremendous contributions to uh, the Resident Evil fandom. Uh Speedrunners, uh, people who are very much into the lore and do a lot of research about it. Artists who who recreate the Resident Evil world uh, with their own interpretation. The voice actors, people, indie devs who've made Resident Evil inspired games, like the recent game Daymare 1998, I think is a good example of that. So I think Resident Evil has a very robust community, and I think there are a lot of great personalities out there i think maybe if there was one thing today that set me apart from other people because you know i think my 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 way of doing things is actually maybe a bit old i feel like i could have found more success doing a youtube documentary for the history of resident evil than i would have doing a book but i'm a bit old-fashioned in that regard but I think maybe the, the the one big thing that sets me apart from other creators is the fact that I do speak Japanese and uh, a vast majority of Resident Evil's creators are Japanese people who by and large only speak Japanese. So I do have the ability to communicate with them in ways that many other creators don't have that ability to. But I like to think that I try to use that as a force of good in the community. Uh, I try not, I don't use that as a gatekeeping strategy actually uh there's a, there's a prominent speedrunner in the resident evil community named carcinogen sda yes Carcy, he's a great guy and uh in 2018 and last year as well we did I, I helped him get a stream going with the directors of re2 and re3 oh, who man. themselves couldn't communicate with carcy in english and carcy doesn't know enough japanese to communicate with them but i stood in the middle and uh facilitated ah. communications with them. And I think you can watch the stream on, on Carsey's Twitch channel, uh, but, mm. or, or his YouTube channel for that matter. But I, as one of the few bilingual Japanese, uh, bilingual Resident Evil fans, I do like to uh, try to use that as an asset to, to help the community. And I'm more than happy to do that whenever it's, whenever it's possible and practical. So maybe that that's kind of where I stand, you know, maybe I'm not the best, 
maybe I'm not the world record holder of a Resident Evil game in terms of, you know, how I play it. Uh, maybe I, I, I sold off a lot of my Resident Evil collection years ago because I just don't have enough space in my Tokyo apartment for that kind of thing. So maybe I don't have the biggest collection anymore either. But, uh, you know, I do... I do like to think that I make contrib- uh, positive contributions to Resident Evil, and I hope this book is evidence of that. Mm. I did. Um, sure. I did wonder. I did catch those streams, uh, Cassie mm. playing with the directors. I did actually wonder who was translating, and now I know. That was me. Yeah, yeah that yeah, was. So that's that's that mystery solved. From from my point of view, I think if you're a Resident Evil fan, if you're going to speedrun, you need to either really like the source material or not mind playing it thousands of times over. And I can't, I, I can't keep playing, like say Resident Evil 2, for example, I can't just keep playing the same sections over and over and over again to get my fastest time. I can't do it. I go back to Resident Evil to dodge a few zombies, blow up the rest of them, play through the bonkers story, you know, <laughs> try and get that elusive A rank, unlock hunk tofu, rocket launcher and then the game telling me did you know brad is a zombie yes we all know brad's a zombie Um, (laughs) but i i don't have the drive to just keep constantly restarting and playing it i I just can't because it would take the 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 sheen off it for me if i just kept doing it i would i would love i would love to be able to just go right i'm going to play resident evil 2 and zip through it and people going how the hell did you do that but i can't (laughs) I, i just it's too special for me i can't do that yeah, I uh, I absolutely agree. When I was younger, I could do decent speed runs, but na- nowadays, in 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 twenty twenty, there's a there's a science behind all this. Yeah, and you must have, in my opinion, really good perceptual super superpowers. I'm gonna call it a superpower where you can where you can tell if a game is moving at twenty nine frames per second or thirty frames per second without having to resort to like a like an analyzing tool to tell you that you need to know you need to be able to perceive things like input lag and like frames and so on and so forth and then you exploit all those to your advantage yeah and then you must have like the fingers of fury that kind of let you <laughs> um and that, you know i've i Muscle memory as well. Um, I've gotten worse at Resident Evil games over the years. Like I, I um, oh, this is so embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> I played, um, I, I played Resident Evil, the original Resident Evil Two, a few months back, and I died somewhere <laughs> like n- where I'd never died before. And it's because I've gotten, I don't know, I've gotten a little uh, impatient uh compared to when i was a kid when i was a kid i could play mm-hmm. resident evil very easily uh, i feel like my i don't know it feels like you know being a boxer at 35 and being a boxer at 15 right there is obviously a difference between your ability yeah. to to fight and react and i feel like it's the same with the video games so i'm just getting worse and worse but people like carcer <laughs> the olympians of the video game of the video game uh community so i i, I really admire them yeah i've gotten so much worse uh <laughs> with the old games but yeah it, it, I, I can understand why you would you would say that it, it would it requires a lot of dedication because it absolutely does and i think mm-hmm. you know if i if i lost my job today and had to make a living doing uh streaming of resident evil games i'd probably get sick of it too uh yeah. and not to take anything away from speedrunners they are phenomenal and they're very dedicated 
but for me a game like that it would it would lose its appeal very fast if i just mm. kept restarting doing the same thing over and over again it would it would no longer be special the the memories associated yeah. with it when i was a kid would go and it'd just be oh i've got to grind this again i've got to get this this has got to be a second faster you know i've got to do this and it turned more into a chore than uh, enjoyable experience for me at least and I think you've just hit the nail on the head there. You know, some people find it fun to to continually uh, play through a game in, in different ways and exploit these things and figure out new ways to exploit the system and stuff. Whereas, you know, I'm more a case of I've done my programming for the day. I want to chill out and just relax. So I'm going to do that and, you know, to chill out and relax, essentially. That's essentially what I'm going to do. And, yeah, I mean, a friend of mine does speed running. Uh, my friend Zach does speed running. And I'm like, that's fine. And you can totally do that. It's just not for me. That's all, you know, in the same way that maybe competitive yodeling isn't for me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, another, another Resident Evil person in the Resident Evil community, I really admire is the Sphere Hunter, Susie, because she has a very eloquent way of, of describing the appeals of the Resident Evil series to people in, in, in a matter that's very easy to understand. You can tell she loves the material and whether she likes something or doesn't like it, you can't help but admire her opinion because she's so good at telling it. Whereas my problem is I feel like I go on and on and on about certain things that I'm very opinionated about. Uh, and <laughs> with, with writing my book, I've actually tried to keep my opinions out of it as much as possible mm. like i don't i don't say if i liked or hated a game or not True. which makes metacritic very useful so <laughs> <laughs> if everybody hated it you know i can write it down right so exactly mm-hmm. right <laughs> yeah uh, that's cool um so uh just a a quick question uh, about that then so you mentioned sphere hunter slash suzy um mm-hmm. I know of her more for the work with uh, Dino Crisis. And obviously, Resident Evil Dino Crisis kind of linked up a little bit uh, back in the day. Yeah. Is Dino Crisis mentioned in the book? Because that's kind of survival horror. You know. Yeah, not not in great detail. And uh, my friend, Jaw Muncher, would probably cry to hear this. He's the big Dino Crisis fan on the internet, uh, mm-hmm. which, is, which is an unfortunate thing to be because there's literally nothing in the pipeline for dino crisis so his, <laughs> yeah. his little sh- his little shtick is to mention dino crisis in places where it normally wouldn't be mentioned as if it'll <laughs> suddenly change capcom's mind uh <laughs> um i talk about it a little bit but not in great detail um mm-hmm. okay well, that's I, fine. Um... I think it gets talked about after resident evil 2 and capcom's because after Resident Evil 2 comes out, that's when Capcom's like, okay, we got to make like 15 different Resident Evil games for every platform imaginable. Let's yeah. milk this to the ground. And, and Dino Crisis, yeah. and I think Onimusha as well are kind of part of that discussion, mm. but I don't get into them in, in great detail. So, okay. Dino Crisis sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually mean that, but uh, I'm going to tell my, I'm going to tell John Ancho to listen to this podcast. And, uh, <laughs> So that we get the hate mail. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, so what what prompted you to start writing the book then? Was it just something that like, hey, I've been writing these things for Game Facts and talking to these people about it. Why don't I just collect was, all of these things together and pass it, it over? It was um, 
GDC 2017, after Resident Evil 7 came out, and the director of that game did a talk at GDC, and I was there. And uh, after the talk, I, I talked, I, I, I approached the game creators, and uh, in Japanese, I, I, I talked to the director about Resident Evil 7 because I was very much moved by that game. Resident Evil 7 was one of the best experiences I've ever had with the series. Uh, when you know, in terms of a game coming out and surprising and entertaining, and yeah, it was a game that I thought about for a long time, and I thought it was fascinating when I talked to the director and the other people in the dev team because you know they were giving me stories about how they made the game, how they felt about it, and for me it was normal because I could talk to them. But you know, we were in San Francisco, <laughs> and if I were an American game fan who didn't speak Japanese, I mean, I am American, but if I was someone who didn't speak Japanese, I wouldn't have been able to have such an enriching conversation without the help of an interpreter. And, yeah. you know, something clicked that, that GDC, I realized, you know what, like these people have very interesting stories to tell. And I think writing a book about it might be interesting. So I told myself I'd do it. Right. And then I ended up, uh, Telling the world I'd do it, so I made sure I would do it. Yeah, because if I if I kept it to myself, the book probably would would have never been finished, right? I told the world I'm writing a book about Resident Evil, and I'm gonna do it, right? So 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 for me, there was no there was no turning back after that. Like if I didn't write the book, it'd be kind of humiliating, almost, right? To to say you're gonna do something and you don't do it, which happened to me in my podcast of Resident Evil because I have very bad technical skills when it comes to podcast editing. That's the only reason why I haven't done this more often, but yeah, that was, that's how, that's how I decided to write the book. It just felt like it had, it had to happen. And I think video game literature is a very underappreciated uh, yeah. form of literature. I feel like video game books deserve a more prominent presence in our industry. Uh, I feel that's like, Jeff Keeley needs to get off of his ass and start rewarding the best video game journalists and video game authors out there uh, at some point. Because if he doesn't, then who will, right? So Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Without giving away the secret sauce, was it just a case of, hey, I know this person who knows this person who can get me in contact with this particular person who works on the game? Or was it, because I mean, obviously you work, you've said earlier on, you work uh, in an, I don't want to say in and around the business, but you know, you you oh, run games and brainwaves, so you're integrated into that business. Was it just very, using your business contacts to figure it out? Very much so. That that would be an accurate way to describe that. I, I had already met a few people who worked on Resident Evil games. Like I, like I had dinner with Shinji Mikami 13 years ago. So wow, you know, we <laughs> we we we've been acquainted by that point. Uh, a lot of the composers that I work with at Brave Brave Wave uh, are ex Capcom. Nice. Uh, so I even am, I'm quite close with the former composer of Sweet Home, or the, the the composer of Sweet Home. Excuse me. So it wasn't it wasn't terribly hard to get some of those uh, people in into my network and kind of talk to them about it, and they were all more than happy to. Actually, it was pretty. Some of the interviews were very hard to get for various reasons, um, but others were a lot easier. And people were very uh, forthcoming about these kinds of things, especially like the director of Resident Evil 3. Like he, 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 I went to his house in um, Hakusan, which is in uh, Ichikawa, Ishikawa Prefecture 
in the like way west of Tokyo. And we talked about Resident Evil for a good six to seven hours, I think. Wow. It's a lot, a lot of time to spend talking about one video game, but we did that. Yeah. Uh, I met Hideki Kami as well. He was more than happy to uh, talk over drinks about the Resident Evil series. And he was a great guy to talk to. I, I met him, you know, several times since then. So, it, yeah, they're great people. It's all about the people, in my opinion. And I'm glad that I was able to get in touch with them. Sure, sure. What I'm taking from this so far is to uh, retake up my Japanese studies because I studied at university, but it's all been mm-hmm. a bit wobbly since then. So, oh wow, <laughs> how long? How long did you study for? It was part time, but it was uh, yes, yeah, so it was like I think it was one one lecture a week uh, rather than like a full time thing. But it was I did study for the four years I was at university, but it's kind of fallen off off of the, off of a cliff essentially because. You know, yeah. there's nowhere near any Japanese people, so I can't really talk to them. But we live in a very small world. Maybe I should figure out a way of of doing kind of this thing, but with some Japanese people that are willing to help. I don't know. I'll figure it out. But yeah, I need to get back into it anyway. Because uh, when when I went to Japan last year in April, when we were traveling around, we had a, a friend who lives in Japan, and he's amazing at it. Like he he works for one of the municipal. Uh, governments and does a lot of uh, historical digging into stuff he's uh he's dutch and he has this very strong link between uh there's a really strong link i don't uh, know yeah Hirado and the dutch so he he lives and yeah. works there and works as uh when they when the royalty came over the dutch royalty he was the person who was chosen to be their interpreter so you know that's pretty cool fantastic um, yeah i mean once the... we left him behind <laughs> sorry no, yeah, no, I was just going to say, yeah, for, I, I actually have a degree in history. So oh, right, for a long okay. time, the Dutch were the only ones who could communicate with the Japanese. I think mm. the Portuguese as well. And I think the Chinese, but yeah, it was very, yeah. that's why um, apparently in Japan, there's this field of studies called Dutch studies Yeah, because yeah. Like, there's like a historical connection, especially in Nagasaki down in yep. in the south of Japan. So it's very. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that they've you know been able to maintain those relationships because I feel like you know the the influence of Dutch has diminished you know over the last 150 years. You know now it's very much American now. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, very the, cool. Um, but yeah, once once we sort of left him behind, so we traveled to Harada to to meet with him. We then went back up to Fukuoka, and they were like, everyone I was traveling with was like, hey, Jimmy, what's this person saying? Hey, Jimmy, I want to buy one of these. Go talk to them. And I'm like, ah, I can't do this, but it's been years. <laughs> so every single conversation I had started with me uh, saying, uh, you know, watashi no nihongo wa daiwarami desu ne. Demo. And then I would jump into what I was saying, um, uh, which was, you know. Bad. Uh, for, yeah, my, my Japanese. That wasn't bad. But uh, yeah, for people who don't speak Japanese, that was me attempting to say my Japanese is very terrible. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, you know, it's inevitable. If you don't practice a language for a long time, you just forget it. Um, I'm from San Francisco and I did study Spanish, but good Lord, if you ask me to speak it, uh, it takes (laughs) takes a while. (laughs) Same with French uh, as well. So it's not your fault. If you ever have the opportunity to come back, you should definitely maybe stay a bit longer or I would also maybe recommend getting a, a Japanese tutor that you can contact on Skype. I, I, I actually started doing that recently with Korean as well. Um, 
I started, you know, getting Korean lessons over Skype. And it's actually a pretty, you know, pretty good but casual way to learn. I'm pretty sure you'll catch on quickly. Uh, now, nowadays, you can play Resident Evil games with Japanese voices. So that's another way exactly. to, to get some good practice. Yeah. One of the ways that I do practice. Uh, we've gone way off topic, but I, I enjoy this conversation. So this is staying in. Keep the sense, Squidge. Um, one of the ways that I do practice is I, I watch a lot of uh, Japanese drama, Japanese movies, Japanese TV shows. Sometimes with the subs on, um, but yeah, just to sort of get that natural, almost almost natural because it's scripted, but that natural sound, just like oh yeah, I know what that word means. Oh, I know what that word means. And uh, I remember one of my favorite TV shows is uh, Trek Toriku, and um, I was talking to Squidge. I was sending him a text message because I was watching one of their shows. I'm like, holy cow, they've put the sign up backwards, and it means something completely different. And he was like what that doesn't make what are you talking about because they printed the sign backwards because they they'd filmed a section of the episode in a, in a like a museum exhibit for the show but they'd swapped all of the signs around so that like toriku showed up as kurito <laughs> which is <laughs> it's really silly <laughs> i'm not going to translate that for you squeeze i'll tell you off of uh, but um and, and they, they actually presented it as this is a museum of <laughs> but oh, all God. they do is swapped all the signs around but they'd left everything else as it was so you could see all of the props from the earlier episodes and the tv show and the, the tv specials and movies so it was a really cool like oh hey i know what this is kind of thing so yeah seriously could he yeah 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 let's let's not translate that i would see if people could (laughs) yeah (laughs) we'll leave that as an exercise for the listener to uh to go check out (laughs) yeah right a little bit more homework yeah i love how um the the shorthand of that word in japanese is a homonym for uh chestnut as well yes i think it's kind of (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, learning Japanese is not, is definitely not a walk in the park for anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I, I had studied for, it took me a good three to four years of studying before I could become conversant, basically conversant. And then it, it wasn't, I started studying in 2005 and it wasn't until 2016 when I passed the final level of the JLPT after failing it okay. twice. So, you know, it, it, something you can't do overnight but if you're dedicated you'll probably gain some level of skill it's like it's like it's like sports it's like video games right? you know if you don't it's, play a video game for a long time you're going to be bad at it but eventually yeah. you get used to it again so yeah yeah it's it's the same with everything isn't it you know yeah. you need that muscle memory that practice it's the same because i found myself sort of tripping over my words trying to think of i know this word what is it but it's because it's locked back here in the long-term memory that I haven't accessed, you know, and that's that, exactly the same. That happens to me. That happens to me actually here in Japan with English because I've lived here for so long and I speak Japanese more often than I do English now on a daily basis mm. that there are times when my English uh, vocabulary, I feel like has declined a bit. Uh, not that I forget what words mean, but they're not as easy to recall if I haven't mm. used a word in a long time. Yeah. And beyond that, I also noticed that I feel like my pronunciation was getting a little stranger and uh, I was starting to stutter a little bit because when you have to start speaking English for a prolonged period of time after not having done so for a while, like you feel those influences of the, of your regular daily language, you know, when you speak another language. And I, I mean, I wouldn't call myself a native Japanese speaker ever. 
and I'm always going to be a native English speaker. Uh, but there are times when in my head, it doesn't sound like it anymore. Like I'll speak English and it just sounds so strange. And luckily, uh, thanks to podcasts like this, I can actually practice my English, which is really, <laughs> which I, which I appreciate. I know it sounds really strange, <laughs> but like, like most no, people no, say, that's... yeah, Alex, you sound fine. But to me, I just, I feel like I sound like a foreigner almost. So <laughs> hopefully it's been fine for you, but I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, it's perfectly fine. I mean, my, my English grammar is all over the place just because of where I was born and raised, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I totally get it. It's the same with anything. Like you said about, uh, how you studied Spanish and, you know, uh, in the UK, we have to study French rather than mm. Spanish, presumably because there's a, a large Hispanic community in the, in the States. You're more likely to interact with someone who speaks Spanish than you are French or German. Yeah. Unless you live in, in the North near Canada, but yeah, in the UK, you're very more, much more likely to interact with someone who speaks French, German, or Polish. So you're French, like, German, you can, yeah, Polish. Um, yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to be one of those people who retire to Spain, you might want to get a head start on that. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. But yes. Um, cool. So looping back towards the book, then. Um, mm, yeah. You you said I believe it was in one of the comments for for the unbanned backing. You would said perhaps it. If you can, you know, if there's time, if there's the, the drive, if there's enough people want to, to buy it and read it, mm-hmm. then it might be it that there is a second volume. You've said earlier on that it covers up the first volume, the first book, the book that we're discussing now, covers everything up to kind of Resident Evil 4. Is there a plan? I mean, I'm not trying to tie you down to anything because obviously it's your life, you do what you want. But is there a plan to perhaps cover the later games as well? Or is it just that will do uh, for now? We'll uh, Officially, I have plans to do a second volume. I very much have every intention of doing it. The problem is, um, I feel like after Resident Evil 4 came out, there, the amount of transparency regarding the development of Resident Evil games has risen. Things have become more transparent, in other words. And Capcom has been very forthcoming about how they create their games. They go to GDC every year and they give very elaborate talks. So I feel like there isn't as much urgency um, about the following 10 years of the Resident Evil series. There are a few things in there that I think are worthy of discussion, like maybe the racial controversy controversy of Resident Evil 5 or what happened to the series after Resident Evil 6 uh, Mm. didn't get great reviews. And I think things like that are, are definitely worth discussing. And I would like to make a book out of it someday, but I don't know if I have the same level of urgency that I did with the fr- with this first volume. The other the other sure. thing that I have to navigate very carefully is uh, the fact that everyone I interviewed no longer works at Capcom, so my book is sure. very much an independent project. And I do have a great relationship with Capcom, but it's not normal or typical that they. Um, they, 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 they willingly cooperate with people who are writing independent books about very specific elements of the development. Mm, uh, sure. Unless there's like some kind of a marketing aspect to it that, that can help Capcom. And I, and I completely understand and respect that because, you know, this is still, this is their property. And even though I do believe in, you know, what we Americans will call the constitutional right of the freedom of the press or whatever the, the British equivalent might be. Um, you know, I do think we should have the freedom 
to write about what we want uh, about other people's work, as long as we don't like do some libel or slander or anything like that, right? So I'm I'm very much committed sure. to maintaining a good relationship with Capcom, but the fact of the matter is pretty much anyone who worked on Resident Evil 5 and onwards is still at Capcom in some capacity. And it's going to be a lot harder to get people to be forthcoming about that stuff while they're working in the company. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah and I think it just makes for less interesting journalism in general. Yeah. There'll be uh, things like non-disclosure agreements and uh, you mentioned there about the mutuality of things. Uh, yeah, we'll grant mm. you an interview, but you also have to sort of make sure that you're pushing this product as well to your audience. Like mm. I think totally get that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I don't think that's something that I would be particularly good at. Uh, well, actually I take that back. I feel like just by being a fan mm. and, you know, uh, promoting the, the best parts of resident evil on a daily basis on Twitter and whatnot, I do think I, I can do a good job at that, but that I feel like that's done best when it comes from the heart. You do it out of a sense of sincerity, not out of a sense of obligation to anybody, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. if you if you're doing it because you're obligated to, then I feel like the the, the it becomes ingenuine, right? It becomes um, it, it doesn't start to feel so real if you're marketing something, yeah. and I'm not the best at hiding that kind of thing. So <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one question I've just come up with, uh, mm-hmm. I haven't really put that in. We have a planning document and stuff, but yeah. one thing I've just come up uh, with is we kind of laughed and joked about it a little earlier on. Does Resident Evil uh, Gaiden, Gaiden and all of the other little tie-in things that happened that aren't really canon, do they get a mention? In the yeah. Book? There's, a, there's a lot of things I, that happen. Right? Every, every game that comes out has a chapter dedicated to it. Oh wow! Every every everything that I would call a milestone release gets a chapter or at least a section in the book. So that would be Resident Evil, Resident Evil Director's Cut, Resident Evil Director's Cut Dual Shock, Resident Evil Two, Resident Evil Two Dual Shock version, Resident Evil Two on N sixty four, Resident Evil Three, Code yes. Veronica, Gun Survivor, Gun Survivor Two, Gun Survivor Four, Outbreak One, Outbreak Two, Gaiden, Gaiden Four, Deadly Silence. I don't. I don't cover things like mobile phone releases. I don't. I didn't sure. cover um, like Resident Evil Two on GameCube because nothing, virtually nothing about that port changed. Uh, wrapping up, then, uh, where can folks go to learn a little bit more about you and more about the book and all of the different projects that you're working on uh, and uh, all the different companies that you're working with? Ah, oh, I'm so shy. Sorry. Um, <laughs> well, in terms of Resident Evil stuff, I think following me on Twitter at CVX Freak is probably the best way. Um, the companies that I work for have websites, uh, mm-hmm. bravewave.net and then limitedrungames.com. I have a LinkedIn profile if people want to know what I've done career-wise. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think those would be the, the best places to find more okay. find out more about me. Sure, okay. Um, and the book, what we'll do is we'll, we'll link to the, uh, the Unbound campaign i guess is probably the best word uh in the show notes but definitely check that out because i mean if you are a fan of resident evil or you are a fan of learning how art is made or or games uh, indeed definitely check that out i backed it as soon as i found out about it Um, thank you which wasn't yeah i mean it wasn't that long ago that i found out about it so that doesn't really sound as impressive as i thought it would (laughs) which which tier did you back i'm kind of curious oh dear uh let's see if i can really find out uh i think it was 
think it was one of the um the uh one of the physical ones. Hmm. Uh, let's find out. Yeah, I think it was. Oh my goodness, it wasn't the featured one. <laughs> it was definitely one of the physical um, copies of the games, and I think it was like the ten fifteen dollar level. Oh, I think. excellent! Yeah. Oh no, you. sorry. The, th- the it comes out at the thirty two. That's two pounds in the UK. I'm not sure what that is in dollars, and I can't do the maths immediately to do, to figure that out in yen. But around the thirty-two pounds, thirty-five, thirty-seven dollars, something like that. Um, mm. So there's like a physical level, um, I think. But memory—that's working from memory. It seems about right from from the emails I've been receiving. But yeah, you should definitely check it out. It's a it's a it's a wonderful wonderful presentation so far, and uh, I can't wait to read it. Uh, regardless of when it comes out. And, uh, yeah, it's a great history into one of my favorite series of games, at the very least. And we'll be covering it a little bit more when it comes out as, like, a blog post or something, just because I want to tell people about it because it looks amazing, if I'm honest. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you. Thank you for backing it, first of all, and thank you for for maintaining your interest. I, I really hope it meets your expectations because... I mean, sometimes every time every time I read the book, sometimes I'm like, "Man, does this really <laughs> sound good?" And people say so, but I, I, I don't know. I sometimes I feel a little self conscious about this, so I, I can't wait till it comes out and you you have a read. Sure, sure, excellent. Um, yeah, okay. Well, we'll put links to all of those things in the in the show notes, and uh, definitely check out um, Alex's his work and definitely check out the book because it's, it's it looks like it's going to be a, an amazing piece of uh, work we're going to have to cut it short because uh, Alex has got some other things to do he's always working always hustling so um, we'll uh, maybe catch you again Alex uh, yeah. maybe not I'm not sure we'll see how the future pans out hopefully oh, we can yeah. talk to you I, again I had a great time and I hope we can do this again sometime sweet awesome <laughs> All awesome right. well thank you ever so much care. okay bye bye of music is this and she is like it sounds like dystopian farting intro music is among the stars by muse station productions outro music is i need you watashi no sabate by gh spoiler break music is spectrum subdiffusion mix by phonics palette cleanser music is breathe deep breathe clear by siobhan Dagay. see the show notes for more details the waffling tailors podcast is a proud member of the j and j media network to find out more about J&J Media, head over to jayandjay.media or check the show notes for a link.